0: Eavesdrop on Experts, a podcast about stories of inspiration and insights, where expert types obsess, confess and profess. I'm Chris Hatzis, and in this bonus episode of Eavesdrop on Experts, our reporter Dr. Andy Horvath ventures into the misunderstood world of quantum physics, and specifically quantum sensing.
1: Here on Eavesdrop on Experts, we're going to go where many fear to tread – We're going to try and understand an area of quantum physics, referred to as quantum sensing. I know, it's an epic challenge, but we're up for it, and so are you. Quantum physics explains the behaviour of systems of stars, gases, metals, light, and even inside our cells. It's also the science behind future senses. You know, like the ones on Star Trek where they whip out a sensor and they tell you information about the life form or the alien material. The scientists we meet today
2: are...
3: So my name's David Simpson. I'm a lecturer in physical biosciences here at the University of Melbourne and I'm a researcher in quantum sensing in biology. Hi, my name's Liam Hall. I'm a
2: research fellow in quantum sensing here at the School of Physics at the University of Melbourne.
4: Hi, I'm Julia McCoy and I'm a PhD student here at the University of Melbourne and uh, my thesis is in quantum sensing.
1: These scientists work at the level below the atom, the various subatomic particles, the particles of light that act like waves. Quantum physics is not like your normal physics that you do at school, where something's there or not there. Quantum physics deals with being both there and not there at the same time.
3: A good way to think about a quantum system is, is like a bubble. When the bubble exists, it's basically in a superposition, is what, what we call it. So that can be in a state of zero and one at the same time. And so this bubble can exist for a certain amount of time, but then that bubble is going to interact with an environment. And so this could be, you could imagine it to be a flower or some sort of cactus. And depending on which environment it encounters, it's going to either pop the bubble or it can leave the bubble in that particular state. And so this idea of watching how long a bubble can stay in this superposition is what we're taking advantage of to measure particular environments, for example.
1: These physicists are making quantum sensors to detect tiny changes in temperature or magnetic fields in, say, a cell or a neuron, except instead of a soap bubble, they use diamonds that have atomic defects in them that respond to an environment. Now, we're going to talk about these later. Meanwhile, why is this an important field worth getting our heads around?
3: The field's important from the point of view that we're developing new technology to put in the hands of biologists and neuroscientists and chemists to ask fundamentally new questions about how biological systems work, about how materials are made. And by answering these questions, we hope to be able to generate new technology, new devices that outperform current technology.
1: So even outperform MRI machines?
3: Well, that's the hope. The hope is to be able to build this, this instrument or this microscope that can actually pinpoint the positions of atoms in a single biomolecule, for example. So the group here at the University of Melbourne uses quantum sensing in materials and looking at how the nanoscale properties of materials, how magnetic are they, how can we manipulate the magnetic properties of these materials. And the second research theme is to do around studying biological systems, and that's the thing that I'm focused on, and that's asking the question about how we can apply these quantum sensors in interesting systems in biology.
1: Name a system. Are we talking systems like disease states?
3: One of the things that we're looking at is determining temperatures in neurons, for example, to ask the question about does disease systems make neurons run hotter? Uh, We're looking at the sea mollusk to ask the question about how these amazing animals are able to synthesise the hardest biomineral. We're researching pigeons to understand how they navigate. There are a whole host of interesting questions in biology and we're just starting to scratch the surface
1: that was
4: David Simpson. Now meet Julia McCoy. So we know that birds can navigate using Earth's magnetic field, but no one really knows how. And there's a couple of competing theories, but one of them involves there being a magnetic particle that is somewhere in the organism that's being used for the sensing. And if you want to find that, you're going to need the sensor to find that magnetic particle. Uh, And uh, yeah, we're looking.
1: We're in the quantum sensing lab, and you can hear the hum of the various quantum sensor microscopes. Hey, that's a picture of a mollusk, one of those funny sea creatures. Julia, why are you interested in mollusks? Because they're these funny things that stick on rocks, right?
4: They're funny things that stick on rocks. That's what they are. We're interested in them because of their teeth. So, like you said, they're stuck on rocks. That's because they're eating algae from the rocks. And if you're going to be chewing rocks all day, you're going to need to have some hard teeth. So they make their teeth from iron and they're pretty, pretty cool teeth.
3: So these teeth have been found to be the hardest biomineral that people have identified. And there's real interest in understanding how these biological systems are able to engineer these sorts of materials. And what we hope to be able to do is inform the the chemists on how to reverse engineer this process so that we can actually make materials like this ourselves and then coat things like drill bits. or or armour and things like that.
1: So this has really got some industrial application. You're looking at nature and saying, hey, nature doesn't really easily makes these iron teeth, so where do you start?
3: So we start by looking at how these teeth actually develop. So the nice thing about this chitin is that if you look at their teeth, it's basically like a conveyor belt. And the teeth mineralize in this ordered process. By looking at how each tooth is developing, we can get a real snapshot of how this mineralisation is taking place and what are the key components in the mineralisation. So that's that's the starting point.
1: In order to look at these teeth on the mollusk, I believe you need a special type of microscope. Can you tell me about that?
4: Yeah, so what's really handy about these teeth, and pretty cool actually, is they're magnetic. So there's magnetic properties of the different forms of iron as the teeth develop. So the microscope that we're developing that uses a diamond for the quantum sensing that we do, it's able to pick out different magnetic properties so we can look at what's happening as the teeth develop and uh, look at what's happening with the changes of the types of iron as the teeth form. So we can use that to try to figure out what's going on, how chitin are able to do the incredible things that they can do with their teeth. We have here right. some chitin teeth. Gee, that's yep. the mollusk's teeth. Yeah, they're on They're on the diamond here. Okay. We'll take it over to the microscope. Just the, um, when I the microscope. got
1: up today, I never thought I'd be looking down a microscope looking at a mollusk's teeth. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness, they are, they're just like little teeth. They're sort of like vampire teeth.
4: They're a little bit more like spoons, but if you cut a section through it and lay it down, it looks like a shark tooth. So you've got less developed teeth at one end and the fully mature teeth at the other. So in, in one row of teeth, you can get the the whole developmental process.
1: Right now I'm looking through an optical microscope, right? And if I wanted to detect things, I can also use other types of microscope like MRIs.
3: If you think about an MRI, an MRI is imaging magnetic fields, but it has a limited resolution. So the best an MRI can do is maybe sub-millimeter, something on that scale. So you can't look at the magnetic properties at a cellular level. And that's the technology that we're developing. So these teeth, are about 100 micron in size, so they're actually quite small and we're imaging the magnetic properties of these teeth on a scale that's sub-micron.
1: Julia, what surprised you in this journey of quantum sensing?
4: Probably when I first saw the signal from uh, a chitin tooth. Yeah, I was sitting in the lab, and the data was fitting, and it's fitting line by line, it takes a little while, and, um, and I sort of look away for a moment, and I look back, and the signal... It's so strong, I, I, I'm sure I got up out of my chair. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, was, it was a very, very strong signal. Um, yeah, it went, we went from there.
1: So the quantum sensing works. <laughs> yeah,
4: it worked. Uh, yeah, definitely.
1: Okay, stop here. I need to tell you about the quantum sensor microscope. Most diamonds have defects, which is good, because we can use these as quantum sensors. The defect is two carbon atoms that have been replaced by a nitrogen atom. This so-called nitrogen vacancy defect has quantum properties that you can access using laser lights and microwaves. So by shining a green laser light onto these defects, they can respond to a local change in the magnetic field from, say, the magnetic tooth. The scientist just reads the amount of red light that's emitted and there's the result in beautiful, never-before-seen high resolution. Can I see your diamonds here in the lab?
3: Sure, so we have many and in different forms. The ones that Julia's been working with are what we call single crystal diamond. So these are like diamonds you would have in your ring for example these are sheets basically of diamond the size comes in about four by four millimeters and they're about a hundred micron thick which is about the size of a human hair and what's even less impressive yeah, um, from a, from a science perspective yeah. is what's called nanodiamond and show me. Show me and nanodiamond me. is what we would typically put into living cells so the nanodiamond powder oh. What? just looks like talcum powder
1: it's just it's gray and so powder. It's, it's,
3: imagine diamond crushed up into incredibly small pieces
1: it's so ugly it's so unimpressive
3: but the beautiful aspect of these nanodiamonds is the fact that they can host these single quantum systems okay
1: so this is your quantum sensor this yes. is kind of like you know in star trek when they get out their little equipment and they start scanning things they're probably using quantum sensors right
3: exactly Glad i'm pretty sure it's made of diamond
1: now give us the layout the specs you shine a laser onto a diamond of with course. a defect. Is that right?
3: Yes, exactly. Just
1: pretend I'm your student, sure. all right? So, okay, talk me through it. What am I going to do?
3: So we have these atomic defects, so these nitrogen vacancy centers. These are located at the near the very surface of the diamond. We come in with a green laser and we excite these defects. So basically the green laser interacts with these sensors and these sensors glow red. So they generate this red fluorescence and it's this red fluorescence or red light that we measure and that helps us determine uh, changes in magnetic field and helps us be able to image uh, magnetic field.
1: What has surprised you in your adventures in the quantum sensing world?
3: So one of the things that really surprised me I remember was back in 2010 and this really changed the trajectory of the research that we do and we were sitting in the lab, it was midnight I remember and we were looking at the first nanodiamond experiments that we were performing in a living cell so we had a set of healer cells and we had nanodiamonds that were injected into these healer cells and we were measuring the quantum properties from these nanodiamonds and this was something i never thought we'd actually be able to do and we measured the quantum properties over this 12 hour period from from midnight until the morning and that really then changed the game for us and showed that you can actually use these quantum systems in biology and they can provide really useful information and so that that was something that really surprised me.
1: Next up is Liam Hall, a postdoc in the same lab and work unit.
2: I was kind of prepared for seeing that behavior in real life. I knew, I knew about you know what this sort of quantum behavior was that was expected and everything like that. I think what's probably surprised me the most is how I don't want to say quickly, but how ready these sort of systems are, that we're always kind of just a, a mathematical playground and everything like that, how ready they are now to sort of start to be translated towards real technology. I suppose we've talked about a few projects now that are, you know, we sort of hope are leading towards, you know, um, whether it be you know, medical diagnostics or ways of doing inter- interdisciplinary research to help chemistry departments and biology departments, neuroscience and so on. It's sort of gone from this, oh, this is a really cool system to look at and to, to back up what's in the textbook to something that we can actually use that's useful.
1: What misconceptions do people have about your area, Liam?
2: Well, I guess you, you, you get brought up through your education to think that biology and physics and chemistry are kind of these distinct disciplines. And we're seeing with the amount of overlap and interaction that we get with groups in, in those areas, particularly the biospace, but we have a lot to do with chemists as well, that the really good questions in these disciplines can't be answered on their own. You know, there's a lot to be gained by, you know, having different disciplines help each other. And interdisciplinarity is a, a bit of a buzzword at the moment, but um, but there's certainly a lot of truth to you know, to, to why it works and how we can sort of help assist with those areas.
1: Julia, you're a great example of interdisciplinary research. You yeah. started off in biology, but you've ended up a physicist.
4: Yeah, yeah, a bit of both. Everything Liam said there is, um, it's true. You can't have one without the other. And um, yeah, it's actually the reason I, I went to do the physics was because if I really want to understand what's going on in biology, I've got to understand physics.
3: When I came to Melbourne, that was to create this single photon source. So I was working uh, with a team of people to do that. And we successfully commercialised that product. And then since then, that's when I met Lloyd. So Lloyd Hollenberg is our group leader. And he is the Deputy Director of the Centre for Quantum Computing. The other unique thing about Lloyd is that he straddles the world of quantum computing and quantum sensing. So he's developed a lot of groundbreaking uh, new research in both of these fields. And, yeah, he's a real pioneer in, in quantum physics we had this journey of, of looking at more of the fundamental properties of this quantum system and what we can actually do with it and then we started interacting with people from biology and neuroscience and it's just taken on a life of its own.
1: Okay quantum sensing team what do you want us to think about next time we see a diamond?
3: Whenever I see a diamond I don't think about it as a, a hard rare stone free of defects which is what most people are trying to identify when they when they go buying these rings. I think the beauty of diamond is really in these atomic defects. So next time you look at your ring, you can think about the fact that there are millions of single quantum systems in that diamond that we can use as a resource for new technology and new devices.
1: There you have it. You survived an adventure in quantum physics called quantum sensing. I'm going back to the lab to talk to the other PhD students just for fun. Wow. Which quantum sensor microscope do you like to use?
3: I like to use the
0: Argus.
1: Why is it called the Argus?
0: Because it sees everything. (laughs) Thanks to Dr. David Simpson, lecturer in physical biosciences, Dr. Liam Hall, research fellow in quantum sensing, and Julia McCoy, PhD student, all at the School of Physics, University of Melbourne. And thanks to our reporter, Dr. Andy Horvath. Eavesdrop on Experts, Stories of Inspiration and Insights was made possible by the University of Melbourne. This bonus episode was recorded on March 27, 2018. You'll find a full transcript on the Pursuit website. Audio engineering by Arch Cuthbertson. Co-production by Dr Andy Horvath and Sylvie Van Wall. Eavesdrop on Experts is licensed under Creative Commons, copyright 2018, the University of Melbourne. If you enjoyed this podcast, drop us a review on iTunes and check out the rest of the episodes in our archive. I'm Chris Hatzis, producer and editor. Join us again next time for another eavesdrop on experts.